Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Torah section called uh, Noah, which, which is Noah, Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 goes through 11.32, so chapter 11, verse 32, and we also picked up the passages there in Isaiah 54 through chapter 55, 5, and then also looked at the passages related to the day of the Lord and the days of Noah that we saw there in Matthew 24 and Luke 17. We saw testimony from the Apostle Peter there referring to the characterization of the day of the Lord being very much like the days of Noah, and to remember the lessons from uh, Noah there. So some of the key points that we should always remember as we go through this passage, this passage right here is like the elephant in the room of Earth's history. What What is that aphorism, the elephant in the room? It's so big, you should see it, but you don't. That's what that aphorism means. Well, the flood is the hugest thing that has happened to Earth's history, and you will see it everywhere if you want to, and you will not see it anywhere if you don't want to. And that is indeed what you see that is taught in geology today. There are believers who are PhD geologists who will show you ample examples of a deluge moving huge amounts of earth around. And increasingly in the past 20 years, you even have seen some secular people who don't believe the Bible at all have now stood coming along to that idea. For example, the Columbia River Gorge is now seen to have been moved by a huge amount of water in a short period of time coming from Montana. So, If that is even acknowledged, then you're saying, okay, they're starting to maybe see the toenails on the elephant that's sitting in the room. So praise God about that. Praise God about that. So what we're seeing here is just like we we saw with uh, Better Sheets or the first Torah reading there with the first uh, really five chapters of Genesis, that we're seeing a message to the world, another elephant in the room, which is the more accurate version of history, which is a better representation of where things come from. What we saw there in Bereshit, first five chapters of Genesis, what we see in Noah here, with uh, especially chapters uh, six through nine about the flood, but also the ones with the genealogies as well. Which one is a better representation of Earth's history? Number one, we saw in both of the parashah, the idea of male and female. There's a lot of confusion today about that. That's one of the most basic things of biology. Now, you can quibble about some things like amphibians and such, but they're amphibians. They're not people. They're designed to do the things they do, such as switching genders when the conditions of their environment change. That's something that's another thing that has been realized recently, a whole field of genetics called epigenetics, meaning that there's things beyond the genetic code that actually will change the genetic code based on environmental pressures, environmental input. That's what you call in systems engineering uh, sensors and logic. You have sensors on your equipment to tell the system what's going on. And then you have logic in your software to tell the whole system what to do with the input that's coming in from the sensors. And then to decide, should I do this? Should I do that? But it's all based on what? Something previously determined. The programmer has programmed the machinery to do certain things based on input that comes in from the sensors and the output that comes from the program that's running whether it's built into chips that are on the, on the particular system or whether it is 
um, something that's actually running in software that someone loads on it. But still, it's becoming a blurred line. You know, the days of the floppy disks, <laughs> the, the hard drives, that's you know, kind of going by the wayside. It's all becoming a chip-based thing. But going back to what we're looking at here today, again, what is a better description of the world around us? What we see here with the flood, with large amounts of water being moved around, or what you see the idea of drip, drip, uh, things just kind of slowly accumulating over time, such as, you know, you see like the Grand Canyon. And if you ever seen pictures of the Grand Canyon, or even if you go uh, and you see an escarpment along a roadway where they've cut through the road and you happen to see layers, well, that's in just one little spot. But there are layers like that that are all nearly flat like a pancake, or you could say flat uh, sections between the layers that go on for hundreds of miles, hundreds of miles in all directions. Again, which is the better description of reality? So what we're, we're seeing here is a, uh, in this particular um, passage, it talks about kinds of creatures. Again, they're the two by two, male and female, but also after their kind. And then seven by seven for the clean animals. So that teaches you a couple of things right off. Number one is that you have the male and female things reproducing after their kind. And those are two fundamentals of biology. Gender and a, you could say, a kind. Now they, they spread it out even more into the kingdoms and the phyla and all the way down to the species and the subspecies level. But people will try to figure out what these, uh, the baramin are created from classes that you see in Genesis are, whether they're somewhere in the species or whether they're in the family, sometimes even going up into the order level. Basically, it's what can reproduce with itself or reproduce with another animal. And today you get the hybrids that you have. We, we know of like mules, that's one hybrid, but you've got others like zonkeys, which zebras and donkeys. Um, and you have those various other types. Well, that just tells you, hey, they can reproduce after their, after their kind and the same one. But one of the fundamentals of breeding, whether you're talking about plants or they're talking about animals, is that you can breed certain things. And you can't breed other things. You can't naturally get a dog and an alligator combination. That just doesn't work. Uh, yes, Larry, you have a comment or a question over there. Another thing about that is that, at least with mules, I don't know about donkeys, but with, with mules, they, they can breed together with horses. But they, um, is a donkey and a horse? What is it that makes a mule? I forget. A horse and... Donkey and I think that is a donkey and a horse, as I recall. But, but, but their progeny is sterile. Correct. So Correct. it doesn't go very far. It may work once, yes. but that doesn't go very far. Yeah. So, so what, what that what it's showing you is, as um, they'll sometimes describe it as genetic cul-de-sacs, is that you get these when they breed down. You see that, especially in dog breeding. When you breed and breed and breed and breed down, you can get a specific characteristic, but it, it's hard to go in the opposite direction back up again. Yep. So vegetables are also, yes. they don't have seeds. Yes. So, so you can get down to certain characteristics you like, but you have to be careful. <laughs> I've learned over time that you have to save the so-called heirloom um, varieties of things because if, you, if those go by the wayside, you can't backtrack anymore. It's kind of like if you've ever done programming and you want to monkey around with something, you better save your original source code of it before you start monkeying around. Because what happens if you get something that doesn't work? You need to start over again. You need to go back to the beginning and start over. And in a sense, that is what we're doing here today. We're, when we went through Bereshit, first five chapters, and Noach, these chapters here, 6 through 11, in a sense... We are starting over. You're going back to the original plan, where things went wrong, where they went awry, and looking at, okay, what is the reset? 
And we also have seen not only what happened here in Genesis, but in Isaiah and in the Gospels and in Peter's letter, you see, okay, that is the antidote or that is the reversal, the, the carrying it back. So as we, we look at this, yes, this is talking about real history. But you also see that um, from this also that the flood was not the original plan because as you started back in Genesis, you see that the earth was created at the end of Genesis chapter 1. It was created so-so, kind of eh, mediocre, eh, very good. Yes, tov ma'od, we talked about that. Is tov ma'od very good? That's the way it was created. Now, that is what the goal is to get back to. The going back, <laughs> rebooting your computer, so to speak. If things screw up and it stops working, uh, you hope that just restarting it is going to help. Uh, sometimes it doesn't; just makes it worse. <laughs> but <laughs> you hope by restarting it, things will work again. You know, it's kind of kind of sad that things that are software-driven, that you can just turn them off, turn them back on again. I mean, even your car, it's become so computer-controlled. If it doesn't work, hey, maybe just turning it off, turning it back on again is, is kind of sad. Like, the, they have even the, the entertainment system in there. They have a way, I don't know if you've learned them, but it's very helpful, that your entertainment system in your car, if it even runs awry, there's a certain buttons that you can push to reboot your car to get it working again. And sometimes I have to do that on a regular basis to talk to my uh, phone. When I plug my phone into my car, uh, sometimes it talks to it, sometimes it doesn't. Because like we saw there in, in Babel, they speak different languages, really. And there has to be a translator between them to say, hey, uh, how can we talk together? And sometimes that translator is on duty and sometimes he's napping. So you have to hit the restart on your car to get that working again. Yes, you, you, that's right. You don't want to be careening down the highway and arguing with your car. So, <laughs> But some of the things that we see is that the flood is not the way it was designed to go. And you see that mentioned there that the Lord was sorry that he had made man. Or you could say sorry that it had gone down that road, that the every inclination of his heart was raw, was bad, evil, always. Every inclination was going there. So that you see also that the creator, term destroyer, was also the savior and redeemer. That is a message that we see at what other time of year? Passover, right, where the creator, the Lord, is also the destroyer. So the Lord sends the destroying angel through Mitzrayim. But the Lord is also the Savior and Redeemer because of what? Yeshua Mashiach and because of, what was that? And because of the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts. So the the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, the Pesach, is blocking the destroyer. Because the destroyer cannot go beyond the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. So that's when we see you know, some other shadows of the passage we're looking at today and the, the Messiah. The attribute of just the names themselves, of the name of Noah. And Noah, there is translated rest or quietness, and it comes from the verb of naham, meaning to comfort or to relent or to back away from something. And nechoach, which is also a der derivation of it, is soothing, which is quite interesting. So what did you see with after the flood? What did Noach do? Right, sacrifice. And what was that? As the 
Yes, there was no law. So the smoke as it's going up was what? Yes. Is a it was it, it, that's right, is a it was a nachoch that it was a soothing aroma. So that was a comforting aroma to that. And as we go through the book of Vaikra or Leviticus, you see that the offerings are also called a soothing aroma to the Lord. And you're thinking, that's just very strange. The Creator is, considers it soothing to have his creation going up in smoke, being burned up, and that rising up. Well, what was the, what was the um, situation there with the offering? What did the offering represent there in the tabernacle? Sacrifice. The person who brought it coming up, just going up in smoke. So that is a very soothing aroma. That is a nechoch for the Lord. Because what? He says, you know, I swore my wrath there. And it's quoted in Hebrews chapter 3 and goes back to Psalm 95 and then goes back to Exodus chapter 17. As, and um, as I swore in my wrath, he will not enter my rest. Swore in my wrath, he will not enter my rest. So what is his rest? It's pictured by the Sabbath. But what is the ultimate rest? Come to me, it's quoted there in the Gospels, come to me all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. So you're seeing that thus coming to God and being at one with God is where you find rest, where you find comfort. So, yes. Yeah, so go, now, go ahead. Oops, sorry, sorry. I'm sorry. a little stuck on Nahor. Do you mind just doing a little remedial, going back and tying it all together? Oh, for the, uh, for the, the word there, Nahor? Yes. So you, you, they're all like derivations of the, of the word. They come from the, the root verb there, which is uh, described as nacham. So the root, wor, the root verb nacham is meaning to comfort, or it's interestingly how it's used. It's used to comfort, but that comfort is also to relent or to lay off or to pull back from, and that brings comfort. Now, when you see that, the, you could say the... Um, uh, would be the 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 adjective form of that, or the adverbal form of it, even is that nichoch, the nichoch there, and that is the soothing aroma. So there at the altar with the the um, ola offering going up, the whole thing going up there, that is a soothing aroma. That is something that is bringing comfort. Comfort to the person who is going into the presence of the comforter. And then the comforter is going to do what to the person who's drawing near? Hit the smite button or relent? That smite button isn't going to get pressed. There is not going to have to be the reset that's going to have to happen. Because just like what you see with the flood... You know, this is someone who is not, you know, the Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination. This is going for the Yetzer Atov, the good inclination. They are moved from the bad inclination. Their thoughts are always wanting to do towards the bad, toward their inclinations want to go towards the good. Or as the Apostle Paul puts it, the renewing of your mind, being washed in the word. Yes, Rose, go ahead. Uh, I've always wondered about the people before the flood. Will they ever be resurrected and have a chance at salvation? Well, that's one of the things that you see the, the picture of not only the prophets, but also in Revelation, you get a picture of what this resurrection is going to be like. 
And you see it also um, talked about there briefly in Peter. When we get there, we can take a look at that. But you get the picture of like they were responsible for what they had. So to the extent of what they accepted and they rejected, that's what they are responsible for it. Because, you know, you see the similar thing that the uh, Apostle Paul addresses that in Romans chapter 2. And he's talking about those people who don't have the law, when they, by their actions, by their yetzer hatov, their good inclinations, if they listen to that, they are a law unto themselves, even if they haven't heard the law before. Because that's one of the things that goes down through all cultures. You have the sense that you should be doing things, and you shouldn't be doing other things. That's pretty universal. Now, there are cultures where that has gotten significantly warped over time, and you have some cultures that are just completely bloodthirsty. And that is also a situation that is very akin to what you see with Canaan. And when we get into the um, situation where it talks about with Israel being down in Mitzrayim in House of Bondage, and you see this passage, it's in passing, and it says that Canaan, Canaan, their, their wickedness has not reached its fullness yet. So even when we get into Genesis again, and we, or further into Genesis, and we start seeing you know, Avram and then Avraham interacting with the people of Canaan, you see there is some openness, but then also some closeness. There's some openness to interact with, with um, Avram, called him in for help, etc. But then also, they got to the point where you had to have Saddam and Gomorrah go up and smoke because their, their wickedness had reached its full. Even if you had Lot in their midst as a witness. So... He was a witness, and you saw which one they chose. When you had the representatives of heaven show up right in the middle of Saddam to get Lot out, and you see how they responded. So even if the rudimentary levels of hospitality of the time period, you could say that is your yetzer hatov, your good inclination you should be hospitable to guests that's like bare minimum of your uh what you would consider in the good versus the bad character uh territory of good behavior Saddam didn't even have that it guests into town and they wanted to um to put it lightly uh, assault them so um that they failed on even the basic sense of the Yetzer Hatov, their good inclination. Their inclination was Yetzer Hara, bad inclination, evil inclination. That's, so it was, Saddam was like what you see here before the flood. Their inclination was only evil continually. Uh, I don't know if that, if that kind of helps. It's like, so in Romans chapter 2, you see that where Paul addresses your very question. And he's saying, what, what happens to people before the flood? They're in some area where the word of God hasn't gotten to, you know, the, the so-called noble savage. What, what happens with them? They're responsible for what they have access to. Everyone has access to it. It's dribbled down through time. I mean, you see the Noah story in every culture on the planet. It's garbled to various degrees, but you see it. So they've had some idea of how things got started, but you know, they don't have the full and complete message, so you are responsible for what you go with. And um, you could say, well, thankfully I'm not the judge, but hopefully the, the Lord has mercy on what they were responsible for. And, for example, the children of Canaan, who got corrupted from their very beginning. So the wiping out of that culture came. For death is nothing in the Lord's eyes. He 
kills, he can make alive. He created out of nothing. He made from the dust of the earth, breathed life into it, created the heavens and the earth by the word, can hit the reset button in any particular time period. So when they are restored, the resurrected, we just have to see how everyone is going to be restored. And you see there in Revelation gives you a picture of it, that you have the first resurrection, the second resurrection, and such. So the question is, is that, what? May it be the, may it be the first resurrection. Yes. So, yes, uh, Larry, go ahead. You know, it's interesting with your analogy of the <coughs> computer program that runs things. Just resetting sometimes isn't enough. Like you're saying with your system, there's something wrong in there that's causing it to get... It, what it does is it forgets where it's supposed to go next, yes. and it goes off into, off into the space, and there's nothing there, so it can't do anything anymore. It crashes. But, you know, the Lord's going to actually have to write a new subroutine to put back into the programming that he put in the humans to begin with to get us to be able to live in his, in his kingdom by writing his laws on our hearts yeah, and changing our hearts from stone to flesh. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it is really interesting, especially like when you see um, people who, um, you know, people in recovery, who are going through a, a focused recovery program from being involved with a substance or whatever, but also from behaviors as well, and also from abuse. You know, like there's, there's organizations that will go in and uh, rescue people who have been brought in as human slaves. That goes on even today for reprehensible uses and purposes. So when they get those, usually girls, out of those situations, their, their software has been just so mangled and corrupted that it takes months, years of just modeling, hey, you know, you don't have to accept being treated that way. This is the way that girls, women should be treated. And this is the way they should be respected. And that just takes time to model and the, they, their hearts are so hardened from what they've had to endure that to get them to open up, it takes time. And they really need that rebirth and restart. So, you know, praise God for all the, the folk who, who work not only in rescuing these girls out of this, but also with the long time after that of bringing them back into being people and to soften their hearts again to kind of start over again with who they are. Uh, yes, Alex, go ahead. Uh, on a lot of the Samsungs or frequency drives, you do have that option to hit <laughs> back to original programming. Uh, yeah. But the guys at Samsung told me on some of those big heat pumps, when you get in there, don't do the wrong thing because you might turn it into a brick. In other words, it won't even know how to reset it. Yes. So, it, you know, it can go both ways. Yes, Exactly, and there's a, <laughs> there's, there's a way you can also do that with your Wi-Fi router, too. And they, they uh, give you strict warnings on how to, how to avoid doing that. So, so uh, hopefully, and then um, I know it kind of takes a long way around to our discussion of uh, Noah and what just his name means, but then you look also at the... Um, names for Yeshua, and just starting off with, first with Yeshua, meaning salvation from Yesha to save to redeem and Shuv for uh, to deliver out of. So those those words there are talking about a word for the Messiah being his name, being to save, to deliver, to take out of, but also. Menachem is a word that comes more from later rabbinical writings where that was a nickname for the Mashiach as the Menachem. But in a sense, if you were to take you know, John chapter, uh, chapter 13 through 17 and you start seeing that talking about the comforter coming, 
I have to go because another comforter has to come in. If you were to translate that back into Hebrew, that's probably the word you would use in there is Menachem. Yeah, because you see that in uh, some of, especially in Lamentations, where you see talking about comfort, comfort my people. That's um, a comforter needing to be sent and Menachem being that comforter to come. And then also another um, passage that you see is when you get into Hebrews and it's uh, the whole long conversation of, you know, Melchizedek and that being the, the compound word of Melchi, which is my king, and Tzedek, meaning for um, kind of translated from salvation or uh, from uh, peace, I mean, from shalom. So that's even name for the Messiah there that you have in Hebrews, the king of peace, goes back to that idea of comforting, bringing comfort, bringing peace into all the world. And then you see in uh, talking about righteousness and that Noah was talked about being righteous and, and blameless before God, walking with God, a preacher of righteousness there in Second Peter chapter 2, kind of the, a bit before uh, the chapter before what we read today in, in chapter 3. And then you see also in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the great uh, hall of faith chapter, uh, you see Noah is described as the heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith or according to trust. So, just like Avram trusted the Lord when he gave him the promises of his progeny being without measure, even though he, his wife was barren and could not have any children, it was, he trusted the Lord. as like, okay, you're going you're gonna to find a way to do that. So I trust and you're going to do that. So too, Noah trusted the Lord when he said, Noah, build a boat. And he went and he built the boat. Yeah, so a ship. A ship is probably the better, the better way to uh, put that, a ship versus a boat. So that brings us then around to our um, conversation that we're going to spend most of our time here today, and that's in the Haftarah reading of Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1 through 55, verse 5. And, you know, for those of you on the phone, there's a picture here. It's kind of a split image of one is showing the ark, the ark there on the floodwaters and people grasping onto rocks outside. And then split image on the other side is a uh, man up to his knees in the water, and he's looking happily at this water. Now, that... The, there's are two kind of artistic depictions, one of first of the flood, and the second image there that is a description or a rendition of what you see in Ezekiel chapter 47. If you've ever read through Ezekiel chapter 47, it's talking about the waters that flow out from the throne of God, from the altar, from under the altar, and they flow out of the gates of the city and down. And the um, the prophet is told to, hey, go out a certain distance, and the water was up to his ankles, and go out another distance, and it was up to his knees, and then another distance, it was up to his waist, and then he went out even further, and he couldn't even touch bottom anymore. It says it was impossible to ford, so it was something that you couldn't just roll wagons through to the other side, so bite up over your head. And everywhere that this water would go on the earth, it would make whatever waters it encountered fresh, fresh water. And there would be huge, um, a, multi a multitude of fish. And this would be a place where you would, as a fisherman, have a bounty. So as we kind of go on with this, the question that you see in this particular passage in Isaiah 54 through 55 is really, it's a tale of two waters. And which water do you want to be in? Do you want to be um, outside of the ark, which there's no future there? Or do you want to be a part of the deluge, 
of living water flowing out from God's throne. And what's pictured in the day of the Lord, that the waters of life will flow out from, from God into all the earth. So when we see kind of some, um, a, an overview of this particular passage, we see the, the tie-in and why this particular section of Isaiah is included with Noah is because of this passage where it says in Isaiah 54.9, you know, this is like the days of Noah to me. And then it goes on even further in the next verse, in, in verse 10 of chapter 54 of Isaiah, the return of Israel from exiles to the covenant of peace, and that being like the bow, the rainbow, and that promise to not destroy the earth with water again. That being like the promise. So this return from exile saying, hey, this is not going to come like this again, that this destruction is not going to be like this again. Now, which brings up the very interesting question. This was a prophecy given to whom? Isaiah speaking to Israel, mainly the southern kingdom, kingdom of Yehuda, leading up to the Babylonian exiles. So, what then? What then is the um, is the corollary for this? Uh, the um, the people who were uh, sent into exile, but you also see a a second exile because we're currently if we're currently living in it right now. Yes, two thousand years. But what is the difference there? What is the difference between the first exile and the second exile, the one that we're currently living in right now? Are your ankles wet? What about your knees? Is your waist wet? Has it gone up over your head? Yes, that's the difference. Is that that that's picture of the living water flowing out from the throne room of God has started to flow. Now, it will be reaching its fullness there in the day of the Lord, but it has started to flow. And you see the picture of that we see in the apostolic writings. There with the outpouring of the Spirit there at Shavuot, at Pentecost, that the spigot of heaven started turning on with significant force and it started flowing out into all the earth so that is different so you could see that yes just like with the flood there have been big floods that have happened since but nothing on the scale and nothing to the disastrous and destructive degree of the first flood and there has been a second exile but not to the disastrous degree of the first exile, where you're like wondering, has God forsaken us? Has God forsaken us? With 400 years of really a gap, where you even had no prophets coming, no word, you basically are left. Imagine how long 400 years is. I mean, we think, we think 100 years ago is ancient. We think, you know, the, the people with the wigs who came up with this country, you know, over 200 years ago, that that's ancient. 400 years, that's back to the pilgrims. So we think about the pilgrim time period of if we had nothing, nobody saying anything to us since the pilgrims. Imagine where you, you might think that you were just neglected and forgotten. But you've had the dribble, 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 the torrent that has gone out into all the earth. And then you've seen also from Ezekiel, they're talking about the redemption and the bringing back in one day, really. And you've seen now a 
restoration of the at least the acknowledgement that God is the the leader of the world there in Jerusalem. You might say it's imperfect, etc. But you've seen at least the starting point of it that hey, heaven is still is still working and it's still working with mighty power in all the earth. So then when you see also, as it goes on, Isaiah 54, verse 11, you know, O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted. So it's like you have no comforter. So that has been restored where we have actually two comforters who have come. We have the Mashiach, and then we have the Spirit of God. Those, a tag team of comforters that are now in, in full power and in full occupation. And then you see also like in, in James chapter 1 where there's that conversation where it talks about, you know, if any of you lacks wisdom, you know, seek and ask for it. Don't be like one who's tossed back and forth in the waves. And as we've talked about in previous occasions, that this is in the context of perseverance, if at, you've, you will face trials of many kinds, but those trials are meant to do what? Overcome. And that overcoming is through seeking wisdom. Why is this happening? What am I supposed to learn from this? So that I persevere through it, and then when I get to the end of it, I'm now what? More mature than I was before. I am experienced in seeing, okay, hey, this trial is coming. I can ask for wisdom. I can get through this and move out the other side. When you look at the giants of faith, like in the hall of faith, we just talked about that earlier, and two examples of this, of Avram and Noah and their trust, how they persevered through it, how Noah persevered. <laughs> Imagine the... the uh, gargantuan task involved with this first building the ship then it talks about just in one verse oh yeah and collect the food i mean you have any idea how much food you're talking about and setting systems up for people have have come up with some approximations on what would be required for not only people but also for all the animals and the kinds of systems that you would have to create to um keep the food, and then also deal with the waste. And it's a gargantuan task. Not to mention, you know, you are in the midst of a tumult right outside your walls. And you're wondering if your ship is going to hold together. But, you know, the one who shut the door was also keeping the ship together. So you trust the one who told you to go in and you trust the one who shut the door, and you trust the one who is now keeping the ship together, that you're going to get through those waters and get out to the other side and be on dry land again. And so that when you see also, as it continues on into chapter 55 in the first verse of Isaiah, it says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Now, we just got through, we, t- we talked about this, and we went through John chapter 7. They're leading up to, and on the eighth day, Shemeni Atzeret. And we talked about that symbolism of the water-pouring ceremony during the days of Sukkot, leading up to the great day of Sukkot. And they're pictured and recorded in John chapter 7, where it's talking about that Yeshua got up on the, you know, the Hoshana Rabbah, or the great Hosanna, the day of the great uh, asking help of the feast. And he cried out in the temple, anyone is thirsty, what? Come to me and drink. Come to the waters of life. So that picture, that where the water pouring ceremony comes from Zechariah 14, but Zechariah 14 is the same picture that you're seeing in Ezekiel chapter 47, those waters of life coming out. And where else have you seen that? Talking about the rivers and the waters of life, and you read, and the Garden of Eden, 
And then when you see the garden again, yes, you see it in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And very interestingly enough, when you read chapter 21 of Revelation, what kind of description do you hear about the, uh, the city? Kind of a shabby, you know, run-down place, you know, broken-down bricks, rocks. No, it goes through a long list of precious metals and stones and such like that. What did we just read here in Isaiah? About the stones. And, yes, and what is the context that we just read in Isaiah about those stones? Where are those stones? What are those stones and the precious metals? What do we see? Yeah, so when you get into 55 and it's talking about all the precious metals and the precious stones, etc. So, what is it? Yes. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I got myself mixed up here. It's uh, chapter 47 of Ezekiel. That's, that's where I was talking about it. Yes. Yes, I got so fixated on Isaiah. But in, when you uh, go and you take a look at Ezekiel 47, you see also the metals and the gems. And it goes on into 48 talking about the same sort of things, talking about the city and where it's going. So where else have you seen this account of metals and precious stones? Well, you see them in the stones, uh, the breastplate of the high priest, about, yes, in chapter 2 is where we're talking about those places, the good gold and all these precious stones and such. But you also see it in Revelation chapter 21. You know, like it's starting in verse 9. And came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel, uh, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and in the gates of the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The one who spoke with me had a measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with its rod, 1,200 stadia. Its length and its width and its height were equal. And also measured its wall, 144 cubits by the human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. And the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall and of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fourth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh yacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Twelve gates were twelve pearls, and each of the gates was made from a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Yes, and by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. 
and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Yes, and then, you know, it goes on when you're talking about the, the river of the water of life, and as it continues on, that's what you see, this description, that of the waters that you see in Ezekiel chapter 47, that these waters are going to flow out into all the earth. And the tree, the tree of life, and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. And the waters that flow out into all the earth, those waters bring life to that which was lifeless. But one of the interesting things you see in Revelation, Ezekiel chapter 47 is that it mentions that there will be places that like swamps and certain things where this water won't go and those, this water won't turn it too fresh. That's very similar to what you see in Revelation 19, 20, 21, where you see that there are, with the resurrections that happen, there will be some that will do what when that happens, when the city of God comes into the picture. They will do what? They will attack. They are like those pools of stagnant water that will resist being made fresh. So thus, when we think about ourselves and what Larry was talking about, getting the new heart, that is not being made into a robot. That is something that you have to say, Lord, transform me. But sadly, you see that some people don't want to be transformed. When the lies are gone, the falsehoods are no more, they will still say, no, the older way was better. We we like things the way they were. Complicated, nuanced, all gray, a little bit here, a little bit there. Just kind of put into a blender and mix it all together. So. I like that way better. So that's kind of when we see the, the preparation for the day of the Lord and it's talking about in those first chapters of Revelation with those seven assemblies. Who can stand? The one who stands to the end. So that process of standing, just like with when you learn to walk, That was a process of learning to walk. So thus, learning to walk along the way of the Lord is something. It takes, it's a narrow road, and there's easy to go off the path. You don't keep your eyes upon it. Yes, the righteous return and repent seven times. You fall down, you get up. And that is the great picture that we have of the kingdom of God. So in kind of bringing things back around, you see that the account that we have in um, our first two Torah readings here of the cycle, first of Bereshit and then of Noah, you know, these first uh, 11 chapters of Genesis, they're showing us the elephant in the room. It's all around us if we actually want to see how reality of this world actually is. Do we want to see it? Or do we just want to put a blinders on and just say, ah, the older way is better. I liked it when I didn't know that there was this giant elephant in the room. And just wonder why you're going around blindfolded and keep bumping into something all the time. Bump, bump, bump. What is that? I don't know. The blinder is on. So, thus, when we are actually uh, take the blinder off, 
and actually allow the Spirit of God to help us to see what's been revealed and help us to see reality as it actually is. And that's like, okay, well, do I want to still live in this muck or do we want to acknowledge reality as it actually is? That, hey, the kingdom of God is trying to hit the reset button here on this planet and uh, we can be a part of the whole reset process. So praise God about that. Any last thoughts as we uh, close out here today? Oh, yes, uh, go, go ahead. Uh, my name is Christine, and I'm remembering, uh, which, what a great lesson. Thank you for putting it all together and taking us to the Brit Hadashat and Revelations. Thank you so much. Oh, man. Um, I'm anxious, and as I was sitting here thinking, I was remembering that Noah's job was to keep the seed alive. Ah, uh, yes. To that, save mm -hmm. it, you know, um, and to keep it perpetuating. And it's amazing, and that's what we are to do, is to keep the seed alive and speak and pray for a good soil to those that we speak and how we live and be the light of the nations. Um, it's that's really a, a challenge. That's a, that's a very good point, because you just brought up something that um, uh, some people have struggled with for over many centuries from Isaiah chapter 53. And it mentions in there, and it says, he will live to see his offspring. And it's a very interesting thing. Thank you so much. That actually is, is a great idea to tie it back into Noah as being the protector of the seeds of generations of not only humanity, but everything with the breath of life into him. All right. Any other thoughts? Uh, yes. Uh, go ahead, Laurel. I wanted to say that... Um yeah, I had a great vacation, and I came back, and I was Oh, all praise excited. God about that. Yeah. Um, but then trouble hit in my family. Oh, no. And I realized we're all here. We are enjoying going and delving through the scripture. Don't forget our kids, because I have a niece who is, it, it is not good. It is absolutely not good. And I talked to her, and she said, it doesn't matter. My dad is a follower of Yeshua, so I'm going to make it in. No. No, you have to, you have to confess your own sin. And when we're talking about the seed, and we're talking about keeping the seed and all that, remember not to forget our children. Yes. In, indeed, yeah. Indeed. That's definitely an important part of the uh, Shema's to teach it to your children. Uh, yes, Carrie, you got your hand up. Go ahead. Um, I, I was just thinking along with that uh, prayer. Um, one of the verses that stuck out to me today was in Second Peter um, chapter 3, verse 9. And I read mine in my Aramaic Peshitta. And it says, Hashem does not delay his promises, as some estimate delay, but he's long-suffering for your sakes, being not willing that any should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. And um, that just really washed over me today. I, you know, I don't know who has these conversations and who doesn't, but I get exposed to conversations a lot where um, there's a lot of conspiracy theory going around and, and a lot of people are even, you know, in, in our movement, they're really focusing on negative things today and how things are getting so much worse. And what I believe Hashem continues to remind me about is that the truth divides and, you know, the, the warmer things get in our political climate and the worse things get, you know, as far as, you know, sin filling the land and things. The more clearly the truth can be seen by those who are sincerely seeking it. And, um, and so I just, I just felt really grateful um, for his delay mm. because okay. there's, there's more and more truth coming out. Even if we don't focus on it, other people are seeing it. 
and there will be more saved because of that. So just wanted to offer that hope for the children. Yes. I mean, that's one of the, the great things we were talking about in the time of Yom Kippur was uh, when we were over at uh, St. Luke's, they were bringing up the passage there from Zechariah chapter 8, and people um, that seen what the late hour it is looking around and seeing, hey, who knows God? And to literally grab hold of those people who know, know God because they're looking for a lifeline. So, yeah, yeah pray, that, uh, pray that it's delayed as long as possible. But, yes, still need to have the Prince of Peace come quickly. So that's a, that's a very, very strange prayer to have is to please delay as long as possible, but still come quickly. Yeah, I mean, Alex, go ahead. Yeah, I'm always fascinated by uh, Yeshua's uh, statements on that. You, you won't know it. it's coming. So all, <laughs> that, that kind of tells us, hey, keep doing what you know you should be doing. Don't say, hey, I think. Yeah. Oh, no, stay right on track because you're not going to see it coming. Yes, indeed. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.